we love beating Mayo, lads. <laughs> Poor old Mayo got an awful beating at the weekend as well. Like, poor old Kevin, he'd, he'd be keeping the head down in Roscommon Town for a few days. Off the ball. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. Off the ball. Breakfast. Ireland's sports breakfast show. Now we're turning our attention to Gaelic football and we're very delighted to say that Shifra O'Shea is with us this morning. Shifra, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. You were in, I think you were in Croker yesterday for that launch um, where a piece of research that Lidl had done basically revealed the lack of support that there is amongst the general population for women's sport. Did you get a chance to read the report or, or see any of the top line figures? Yeah, I suppose it was presented to us yesterday and some of the things were quite eye-opening. You know, we probably know some of it from obviously being and playing at the games ourselves. But stuff that kind of stood out was probably that like 60% of the people interviewed, so that's meant to be kind of 60% of the population, had never attended a live female sporting event. And that's over any sport like. So something like that was very eye-opening to think that they had never attended an event in person. And in in fairness, they had uh, representatives from the English FA and I think from the Nebraska Cornhuskers who both put together campaigns and programmes to try and boost the attendances. So it wasn't just uh, here's the bad stuff. There was also an opportunity to kind of learn and absorb some of the lessons from other sports as well. Yeah, definitely. It was very interesting hearing uh, from the Nebraska volleyball kind of head um, on what they did to get a record-breaking attendance. I think they got something like 90,000 into a football stadium to watch an outdoor volleyball ladies game. And, you know, just to see the things they put in place to make that happen on that day is, you know, you nearly get goosebumps listening to her talking about it. And then the English FA and the steps they're making, you know, they're getting lots of women's games into the big stadiums these days. And, you know, stuff like Arsenal have played I know maybe six or seven of their games this year in the Emirates Stadium and getting massive crowds. So, you know, there is definitely progress and hopefully we can learn some things off them and bring it into our sport here. Yeah, and it turns out there's an appetite for it. People want to watch good quality sport between sides of uh, evenly matched ability because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. That's the whole point of sport. Yeah, definitely. And I think a main thing that they were on about yesterday as well is like, it's not just about bringing people to All-Ireland Final Day, League Final Day. It's about getting people out during the early rounds of the league when it's accessible. You know, things they highlighted was accessibility, kind of visibility. And when these games are accessible in our home grounds, you know, when we have a good few games at home during the league with Kerry, it'd be good to get that support base out when, you know, it's only maybe 15, 20 minutes away for some people. And then just to get that time to go out and show your support, whether you're bringing along kids and hopefully that they get inspired for the future or you're just going, going along yourself. That's kind of the thing we want to aim for. And when it's at home in your own county, you know, it makes it more accessible for people to go to. How do you think that momentum starts to develop, Shifra? Because there's definitely been a, a sense that, you know, obviously the fantastic occasions that we've seen in Croke Park on All-Ireland Final Day for the women's finals, we've just struggled to see that translate into big attendances anywhere before the All-Ireland Final. So, so so, how do you get the ball rolling or what, what needs to be done differently to, to, to see green shoots at a at a level that isn't the All-Ireland Final? Yeah, I think um, some of it comes from visibility and I suppose TG Cahar announced that they were um, had more games live this year. I think they have 13 games live in the league, which is obviously brilliant when people can, you know, firstly maybe turn on the TV and if that's all they're doing and watching the game, 
in the TV in their own sitting room, you know, that's creating the visibility. And then if that sparks an interest, hopefully they're going to go along and go to the next game, maybe there's at home. And, you know, it starts growing from there. So, you know, it's when they go to the game, if they're treated the way they should be and they're happy to go back and then hopefully that they start to support and, you know, if they support in their own county, hopefully then when they become more involved in it, that they will travel to support the team. Uh, you're a trainee PE teacher, is that right? Yeah, so I'm in UL, uh, fourth year PE and maths teaching. And is this something you think you might be interested in in studying further? Like the, I know Connor Myler, the Toronto footballer, is doing a, a lot of work on uh, representation and uh, access and that kind of stuff. He's actually doing a PhD on um, participation. Is this something that you might be interested in, in getting involved in further, or is it actually just something that you're kind of starting to think of now on the back of yesterday's presentation and stuff? Um, yeah, yesterday was definitely eye-opening and it would, you know, spark an interest in it all right. Um, <clears throat> I suppose in one way, there's only so much you can do as a player um, when you're putting all your effort into training and playing the game. I suppose we could probably do more in highlighting ourselves, but sometimes, you know, that's hard as an Irish person to be promoting yourself in your own team where, you know, there's probably more that media can do and that's not just national media but local media and the local Facebooks and Instagram pages where you know people are looking at these pages and they know number one the games are on they know what time and what the venue so you know it's all about these small steps and they all build up We're obviously going through that process at the moment where there is a high level committee looking at what integration is going to look like in future for the LGFA the Camogie Association and the GEA towards one association and it obviously makes sense and it, it doesn't it seems like it's very complicated we keep getting told it's very complicated I'm not quite sure why it's so complicated but um, from your own perspective do you feel like we're getting as close as we need to be to equality when it comes to you and what what you feel like as a Kerry footballer do you feel like you guys are getting the same treatment as the men will be getting at the moment um, I suppose everyone kind of knows that there's a big difference between the two. Um, it definitely is, the gap is definitely closing a bit, but I think still there's massive gaps there. And that's just in terms of, you know, simple things like expenses, um, travel, mileage, expenses, stuff like that. Um, I think we're definitely treated differently in that. But, you know, down in Kerry, we, we are looked after and we get... You know, it's probably hard work to get a pitch at times, but we do get a pitch to train on. We have gym facilities. We have all the coaches we need. We have nutrition, S&C. So, like, we're getting our gear um, and our training gear and stuff. So we're well looked after in terms of that, but there still is, you know, on a national level, that expenses issue and, you know, things like that, that some girls are left out of pocket traveling to training. And that must be annoying, right? I suppose it is, yeah. You know, when you know that the men are getting it and, you know, they're getting what they deserve. And it's not about taking from the men because, you know, that's where they've got to and they deserve every bit of it. It's just about trying to level it out and increase our what we're getting. So hopefully we get there in the near future. Off the ball, breakfast. Ireland's sports breakfast show. How are you recuperating from your injury? Yeah, it's all going good. Um, I'm nearly four months post-op now. So, yeah, I've done a lot of hard work, you know, the early stages in the gym. Um, it's just a lot of tough tough work and a lot of days you have to go. Um, but I've 
yeah, I've been very committed to it and I'm sticking to my plan, you know, back doing a bit of running now. And um, yeah, it's going well so far and all going to plan. So a lot of hard work done, but a lot of hard work still to go to get back on the pitch. Can you talk us through those few weeks last summer, Schiefer, where you get injured uh, and I think to everybody's surprise you end up playing and coming off the bench in the All-Ireland final. What, what was the sequence of events there? When did you find out that you would be available to play that final? Yeah, I suppose it happened on a Sunday at training. It was the week before the All-Ireland semi-final against Mayo. Um, I got an MRI straight after it. I didn't think it was my ACL, but I knew there was something wrong. So got the MRI and I got my results the following morning that I had torn my cruciate. So that was kind of heartbreaking. And I never even contemplated um, that I'd be playing or you know, have any part, you know, the focus was on the semi-final the next week. Um, I told the girls just to focus on that and that I'd I'd be okay myself. And then <clears throat> I suppose I arrived at training on maybe the Wednesday and I think actually it was a Tuesday night training and the lads and our physio had been on to Sanctuary and they said, because my knee hadn't kind of reacted that badly you know it wasn't swollen it wasn't safe I was walking around the place um that they were going to bring me up and you know see how it was so there was obviously nothing confirmed and I went off to Sanctuary and just see saw kind of a surgeon and a physio team and you know they said obviously I did need surgery but that it was okay if I tried to build it up and just see how it went like there was no guarantees um so no one knew. I suppose the team didn't know because their focus was on the semi-final and there was no chance that I would be playing in that semi-final. So um, we kept that quiet because obviously you're never guaranteed that you're going to get to the final. And it was pressure, I suppose, on the girls as well if they knew that. So um, we kept that quiet until the following week. And then when we had qualified for the final, I suppose, we let everyone on the team know. Did he train much? Yeah, I did a good bit of training. I suppose I was in the gym a good bit. And then I played half an hour of a trial game the week before. So, And when it came to match day, was there a sort of prescriptive plan? What, what was, it was about 20 minutes, Chief, where you played in, in that final? Um, like about what, that, yeah. Yeah, was, was, that, was that the exact number you had pinpointed before the game? Or was it a bit earlier because you were chasing the game? Or, or what were the conversations like about your involvement before the game took place? No, I suppose it was just kind of see on the day and see how the game was going. Um, I think Hannah went down with a bit of an injury at that time and I suppose that was the reason it was at that time. But yeah, there was no specific plan. Um, They kind of said that uh, we'll just see and, you know, maybe if it was something that didn't have to happen at all, it mightn't have happened. So it was all a bit up in the air and you know that with a game, like there's so many variables and you don't know what's going to happen on the day. Did you tell your family and friends that you were available and going to play? Because I think a lot of the, the country was, was taken completely by surprise. Yeah. No, I suppose the only ones that knew were the team and then my mom and dad. My brother didn't even know, which, yeah, it was hard. And, you know, none of my friends knew or anything, but that's the way it had to be because, you know, training and the lead up, the week leading up to the game, like... I knew that at any stage in that training, something could happen and I could be out. So there was no point saying it that I was playing or that I could be playing because nothing was guaranteed. 
so afterwards, how soon after do you get the operation then? And was there any sense that training on it and playing on it set you back in any way? Or, or was, it, was it all still fine after? Was the, the process always going to be the same whether or not you played and trained for that All-Ireland final? Well, I suppose there's probably always a risk that mm. you're going to do something to it. But no, I actually did nothing to it. It was fine. Um, I was around with the girls for the week, obviously, after the All-Ireland. And, you know, we had a good week together. I suppose it kind of, at that moment, you have to be with your team. And, you know, d- during those tough times, they're the ones you want to be with. You don't want to kind of be interacting with anyone else. And, um yeah, so I spent the week with the team and then I was actually away on holidays for a week. So I had to wait another two and a half weeks after that, just, you know, before they would operate on me. So it was just the middle of September then that I ended up having the surgery. But thankfully, there was no extra damage. Unfortunately, it's the, the second time that an ACL injury has happened to you. It was on the other knee, I think, the previous time. How has this recovery differed from that as, as the, the, the first situation prepared you mentally at least uh, for, for this recuperation or, or how do things differ? Yeah, I suppose I had kind of two different um, knees, I suppose, in terms of like all ACL recoveries are different. But in terms of the first one, it was more swollen and stiff after I did it. And it was kind of more of a angry knee, I suppose, where this time it's kind of been all fine, not fine, but um, it's been more simple and, you know, that helped in getting back to the gym quicker. And then I suppose when you're back in the gym, you can build up your legs. Um, so it's just been about building up my quads and hamstrings and, you know, trying to even out my legs at the moment and do a lot of strength work to try and even out the imbalances before I would do my first testing in centre in February. Uh, um, everybody's really fascinated by uh, cruciate knee injuries because they're they're un- unfortunately very common but as you say each one seems to be different so when you went up and they said actually you know what there is a chance that you might be able to be okay for a, a limited period of time why was that is that because you'd ripped it cleanly or because you hadn't ripped it cleanly what was what was the explanation for that I suppose it was more the fact that my knee was not swollen not stiff I had my full range of motion so like I was walking around I was well able to do all my daily tasks like so that was the difference where the first time when I tore it my leg went up in a balloon and I was on crutches so clearly there was two differences in that yeah. but I don't know and why they... I, had, I had ruptured it fully both times right, so okay. it's just the way it reacted differently and maybe how you've built up your other leg in the meantime as a result of the first one perhaps uh, I don't I'm obviously I, I'm not looking at the scans and even if I was I wouldn't be able to tell you what I was looking at so could they explain this basically is what I'm trying to find out um, I suppose they just reacted differently I don't, I don't know it's hard to tell like you know either way I had to go for surgery for both of them and you know after the surgery it probably evens out a bit you know yeah. you're going to get that swelling you're going to get that stiffness after surgery either way but it was just the re- way it reacted at the time which I don't know maybe it's down to gym work and the amount of gym work I've done between the two but it's hard to put a finger on it but as it stands things are going great and if you have your full range of motion and there's no repercussions in February you'll be back in plenty of time at least for the championship this year yeah so I suppose the way they work it is you have testing at five months in Santry so that'll be my five month mark in February and then you get results and you kind of work on them then for the next couple of months and then you have a final testing again after that to kind of clear you off. So 
yeah, hopefully, you know, all going well and, you know, it's going well at the moment, but I know there's so much work to be still put in and, you know, I'm willing to put that in because I'd rather give it my all now and see where I come up than be regretting anything at the end if you're missing out on matches. So, yeah, I'm pushing myself every day and every week and hopefully it, you know, works out in the end and hopefully we get over the line in an All-Ireland final. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck with the recovery and with the coming season. You've been great with your time this morning, Schieffer. Thanks a million for joining us. Thank you. It's uh, Schieffer O'Shea there, the uh, Kerry captain, talking about uh, a second ACL injury. Seems like a fairly remarkable story. Off the ball, breakfast. Ireland's Sports Breakfast Show.